Welcome to the Mac Emerge Podcast. My name is Teresa Chen, and with me I have Kevin Dong, Brendan Trotter, and Joanna Dida, and we'll be your podcast team. Our goal is to connect all the McMaster-affiliated emergency physicians so we all get to know each other a little better. We have so much great talent and expertise in this region. We want to highlight it into one regional podcast. Each podcast features one invited guest to speak about their expertise or interests. Additionally, we will feature external speakers who have delivered regional rounds at one of our teaching sites. And don't forget about the residents. We'll be featuring stories about our residents and what they've been up to as well. All right, are you ready? Let's get started with this month's episode. All right, hello. I'm here with Dr. Aleem Pardon, who does not need much introduction, but say hello to everyone, Aleem. Hi, everyone. All right. Always, so Always nice to hang out with you. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we're really like, nice to have you back on the Mac Emerge podcast. We're really excited to um, have this chance to chat with you because it sounds like you've been um, spending a lot of time lately hanging out with uh, some people doing something very epic. Is that correct? Right. So uh, for those who don't know, we're rolling out Epic at Hamilton Health Sciences. So for those who don't know, our current uh, health information system is possibly older than I am. It is, uh, it is, it is fairly old. Don't get me wrong. I love to use it. I'm very good at using it. Um, but it's about 400 years old and we still hand write our charts. Uh, so we are now moving into a uh, renewal of our hospital information system, i.e. we are buying a brand new system, uh, which is called Epic, which I know lots of other hospitals use. So it's yeah. uh, really exciting. Epic and I think there's Cerner. There's only a couple of those big name brand kind of EHRs out there. So I think most people have probably heard of Epic or used it themselves. Yeah. So there's a there's a few out there. So there's Epic, Cerner. Uh, there's something called Meditech Expanse, uh, and then there is um, there's one more. But the name doesn't come to mind, but there's a number of sort of big ones out there. Epic is probably the biggest out of all of them. Um, it has lots of different modules for lots of different uh, types of environments, and certainly for us at Hamilton Health Sciences, particularly with all of our you know regional and specialized services, the decision was made that it was probably the best one for our needs. Most of the teaching hospitals have it. Most of the children's hospitals have it, and since we you know, we're both of those things uh, or have both of those things sort of within our, our basket of hospitals. It was, it was the best option for us. Yeah, that's very cool. And I, I, and I mean, you know, you read about articles about, you know, clicks and people having trouble with some of these EHRs, but I mean, at the core of it, the functionality of it, and there's a lot of affordances that come with it too, right? I know that there's some downsides, but what role have you been playing in this whole epic transformation process and can you walk me through what are the cool things and what are some of the things that you've learned along the way for sure so i am the postgrad rep on the on the epic rollout committee so i basically represent postgrad and i'm looking primarily for me i'm mostly looking at how do we get the uh learners best spun up on a system uh of course the advantage i have with that is is that the learners are going to probably going to be the ones that are going to uh, use it the most effectively and the fastest, partially because they've already had some experience working with it at our partner hospital in town, St. Joe's, uh, and also because they are very comfortable sort of in the digital world and so therefore will likely be 
able to work with it uh, fairly easily. So some of the, the neat things that we've sort of seen is, is that there's lots of ability to personalize the system. So, you know, for an individual who's using it, you know, if you tend to do something the same way, lots of different times, you can set up like an order set to do that. And it's one click. It's not like multiple clicks. You know, if you're someone who's, you know, note for chest pain in the emergency department is the same from one patient to the next, you can actually program that in and you sort of put that in and say, you know, Aleem's chest pain history, and it just populates. You don't have to sort of go through and sort of type it all in de novo. Um, so there's lots of different ways of doing that. The one, the one thing that we have heard both from uh, the team at Epic, from our own users who have sort of used Epic in other environments, as well as from, um, again, our, uh, our colleagues over at St. Joe's, is that the more time that you spend learning the new system, practicing with it in the playground environment, there's actually a playground environment where you can go and play around with it, setting up your user settings, the more confident that you'll feel at go live and the easier it'll be for you. There's also some really great mobile applications. So both Haiku and Kanto are sort of your mobile applications. One is for mobile devices. So like, you know, one for phones, and then there's another one for tablets. They're optimized right now for iOS. There's a few things that you can't do if you're on say an Android operating system, but, uh, but you can do a lot of these things on the go. This helps particularly for services that are not necessarily always fixed in one place and that are mobile can use their phone their tablets, their laptops to, to do to do what they need to do sort of to take care of their patients. All right, that's great. So um, I foresee some people will be having like handheld devices that they towed around with them all around the hospital. And some people will have workstations that are stationary and probably some workstation on, on wheels, probably. Yeah. And so the yes, they, that's exactly what they're called. They're called workstations on wheels or wows as we now call them uh computers on wheels was what they were initially called but for uh some reasons we decided that that acronym was probably not one we wanted to be throwing around the hospital so we went with workstations on wheels and so that's actually another big thing that's coming is actually we are optimizing our IT infrastructure at the hospital as well. So there's a whole new fleet of computers and mobile computers and desktop stations that are sort of rolling out so that we have lots of devices uh, for you know, every uh, physician, resident, student, nurse, um, RT, everybody who needs a computer in the, in the building or a workstation will be able to access one. Very cool. And so it sounds like the digital now is going to be um, a lot of customization and a lot of, kind of integration of things that you can do. Um, but on the back end, I foresee there being quite good advantages for an emergency department as well in terms of analytics, right? Uh, I know that Sean Mondu is like jumping up and down cheering right now because I'm going to say the word data. Um, and I'm going to say it three times, data, data, data. But I feel like that's what we're going to actually have at the end of the day is, is so much more rich data. Oh, for sure. I'm actually surprised John has not appeared magically in the screen as he normally does when we say that. Uh, and so absolutely. So there's actually some really neat stuff that comes along with this is so one uh, will be able to collect mountains of data, both uh, on a collective level. Epic actually has some really neat features where you can sort of sort data based on any number of factors. And because of the way that data is collected, you know, if somebody is in isolation, somebody is in step down, somebody, you know, has their vital signs checked, there's lots of things that actually come into play from a data standpoint. So it's actually can, it'll be really exciting for us to be able to look at some of that back end data to see how we can optimize you know, patient care in the moment, as well as sort of on a system level, um, you know, our ability to find out, you know, 
how many patients do we get on this day when there's a big snowstorm? We could probably pull that without too much difficulty, right? As long as you can identify the days. And then also on like an individual level. So, you know, our historical data has shown that when these three vital signs parameters all fall out of whack, you know, a code blue follows soon afterwards. So we'll be able to intervene earlier on those patients. And actually you can build in um, uh, flags and warnings so that when patients have you know, those types of features, it can send an alert to the, to the nurse, to the physician, uh, to the team to say, uh, by the way, your patient in room three uh, has now met these criteria, you should go and, you know, investigate. And so, you know, the, the backend data has the potential to be really cool. The other advantage we have is that because us and St. Joe's are now using the same system, we now will have access to citywide data in, on a very similar platform. And so Sean and I have actually had some discussions, and I know we're going to have more about how can we leverage that data to, to help with both um, operations as well as patient care. Yeah, and I actually see a lot of educational applications too. I know that we've had some guests with the U.S. that we've intersected with you and me, and at least with the way that they've uh, been able to harvest some of the data for learning analytics for the trainees about certain, you know, certain kind of analytics that are relevant to them, like things that they would be in charge of that, you know, that aren't dependent on the staff. Like, for instance, this, a resident can be overridden by staff that says, hey, you, you should get a CT. But I could imagine there are certain things that the residents like, you know, reassessment time or what time they actually get to discharge the patient, things like that. I feel like there's like lots of analytics that we can start isolating that can be specific to helping trainees start to identify where their practice gaps are or the kinds of cases that, you know, maybe they're slower on antibiotics consistently across all instances with all staff. I think it'll be kind of exciting to see where there's ways that we can improve and help people uh, foster their learning. And that's not just for trainees too, I think that's for staff as well, right? So a lot of our staff physicians, we don't get a lot of data and you know reports back. We don't have people observing us all the time the way the trainees do. So this might be a great way to get that. Absolutely. So there's some actually some really neat stuff that we've seen out of the States um, in terms of generating physician level reports, right? So you can look at, you know, what is your, now the challenge of course in Emerge is time to be seen is, is always a little bit variable depending on sort of what the wait time is when you get there. But you know, from the time you see a patient till this position time, uh, how many CTs do you order? How many ultrasounds do you order? Of what type? Um, how long is your time to decision-making? How long is your time to antibiotics? How quickly do you make decisions after a reassessment has been put up? Uh, and we can run those reports not only for the staff physicians, but also for the residents. Um, and particularly for our senior trainees who are on their way out to independent practice, it'll actually be fantastic. They can also look to see, you know, I've seen lots of chest pain, but I haven't seen a lot of oncology. Right. So maybe I should pick up all the oncology patients who present to the eMERGE on this shift. Right. Or, you know, when I work in the PEDS eMERGE, I'm, I've seen this population, but not that population. So maybe I need to work in, you know, the summertime when we get lots of that population. Right. So the thing I think about is I have a lot of pediatric fractures. Okay. Well, we're not necessarily going to see as many of those in winter as you will in sort of the summer. And so maybe I should come and work in the, you know, come and work in the summer. And so there's actually some really neat things that we could do with that data that would help the residents significantly in terms of, you know, guiding their own practice. And also, frankly, from a, from a staff physician standpoint as well, taking a look at some of the data around how well are you doing in this particular area? And then is there a way that you can, you know, perhaps adjust the system to work in your favor, right? So when, a, when a, something pops up, you know, it forces you to look at it right away. So you can say, okay, 
now I can improve my true antibiotic time. Yeah, I think that in uh, Calgary, at least, uh, I know that another Sean, Sean Dowling, has been working with Laura Cook, uh, who was the associate dean of CPD at the time when she was doing actually her PhD. And they looked at the way that you could actually get some of these reports and then actually meet with a small group and actually talk about how you could improve some of your statistics or your analytics and improve. And to this day, I think there's still that program is very, very successful. I definitely have had Catherine Potoka, who's the program director there, say, I can't meet at this time because I have my small group learning and we're going to be going over analytics and she'll ditch me for that. <laughs> and so, I mean, they, she looks forward to it because it's something that she really um, treasures and enjoys. And so I imagine that hopefully we can get those kind of analytics that can help us get excited about meeting and talking and discussing and improving what we do. Absolutely. And, you know, I think there's a number of things that this this brings up. And, you know, the other advantage with this system is it will hopefully become the single source of truth for information for our patients and also, frankly, for our for our staff. Like, you know, it's uh, the data, the amount of data that we can get out of this is, has the potential to be uh, so good and so rich that there's lots of good things that we could do with it. So, yeah, absolutely. That stuff is coming. Now, now a question. Is it also integrated with things like our healthcare aids and our aging system and all that other stuff? Like, because there's a lot of this other stuff that um, could make our lives more efficient if we could close the gap, for instance, how long it takes me to get in touch with a radiology resident after hours or how quickly we can get someone to be at the bedside or how quickly, you know, someone is able to, you know, reach someone who can help the patient transport out to the ward, for instance. I feel like all of these little things are those kind of the analytics that we can get in Epic as well? Absolutely. So there's, there's some of those analytics are definitely available. One of the other things, actually, we've been in discussions with radiology, certainly I have, about our radiology processes. So for example, one of the advantages, so one of our challenges right now is the reason the radiologists like to talk to us is because our requisitions are sometimes uh, less than legible. Think we can go with that and so you know they want to be able to read what the story is and what we're looking for when they're doing the ct so that they know how to protocol it and they know where to look when uh, when we have a question and so with this new system our recs will be electronic and so it'll be very easy for us to type in a con you know type in our consult and say you know patient comes in with left lower quadrant abdominal pain you know tender guarded white count of 18 please rule out you know diverticulitis and they'll be able to read that and then protocol it on that basis so the hope is actually is that we will do away with the phone calls to radiology for imaging unless there is a specific question right so i'm looking for this what is the best appropriate test for that right type of thing as opposed to us having to call them for every study and so the other advantage that we get is there's a neat feature in uh, in epic called secure chat so it actually enables you to do non-urgent chatting with, you know, consultants, with the radiologist, with, you know, the RT potentially uh, that way. Now, this is not meant to replace paging for sort of urgent and emergent things, but certainly for sort of like, you know, day-to-day -day type of tasks. Uh, there's that. There's also the potential for sticky notes. So if there is a, you know, patient needs a bowel routine, you know, you don't need to pay someone about that. You don't need a secure chat for it. You can just put a sticky note on the chart that says, next time you come by, can you deal with this issue type of thing? All right. Okay. So I think we're basically, I mean, I think I have a pretty good idea of how this is going to change. Obviously it's different. And all my colleagues at St. Joe's have warned me that it'll be very different when actually, you know, rubber meets the road and, I think that there will be a learning curve and there will be, you know, lots of uh, hiccups here and there. I, it sounds like there's a massive entourage of people, just like they did with uh, St. Joe's, they'll be at our elbows and helping us. So that's awesome, right? 
Yes, the training is starting now. So, you know, um, people are getting registered for training this coming month, and then we start training in March, April, May. So there's a combination of training, uh, as well as user setting labs and learning how to use uh, voice recognition and documentation tools and, and setting up your mobile devices. So all that's happening over the next three months. Uh, and then on go live, the intention is that there's going to be a ton of at elbow support, oftentimes from like, you know, IT students who are going to be floating around to help us with, you know, the remind me how I do this on Epic, at least, you know, that is the initial goal for the first, you know, first go live period. We're also ramping down um, any non-essential work during that time so that we're in a good place to be able to launch something new. You know, we asked to ramp down emergency services, but for obvious reasons that can't happen. And we'll, you know, we will likely also upstaff a little bit during that period so that, you know, because we're all going to be a little bit less efficient. Um, and so we'll make sure that we have extra people around to help support us. Excellent. And, uh, and so I think there's a couple of other people that have been very much involved. And so who are some of the other Epic kind of champions, I guess, I don't know what to call them, but uh, people who have been involved in Epic. I know that you've been at the table. I know Kaldi's been at the table, but I think we've got a, other, a couple other people that maybe locally people could turn to uh, as people who might be helping with uh, the education and the rollout. So within the Emerge, the people that we have are Alex Chorley and um, Kyle DeRoche are going to be our two trainers uh, for the general side of the department. Natasha Gill, who's one of the PEDS Emerge physicians, uh, is going to be on the PEDS side of the house. Um, and so she's going to be uh, responsible for training her team. The Emerge training is all the same. So all of them are, are going to have lots of good information. There's uh, also somebody at the West Lincoln site. Unfortunately, I don't remember who it is off the top of my head. And then also in terms of like champions, you know, uh, the other people who sit at the table, Emerge is very well represented. So in addition to me and Kaldeep is also uh, Julian Owen, who's another one of our Emerge physicians and intensivists who's at the table. And then, you know, there's lots of other really exciting people from lots of different specialties. So, you know, medicine has got good representation. ICU has good representation. Uh, and the, the person who's sort of running the show is Barry Lum, who's our executive lead. And then uh, for the operational side of it is uh, Rob Lloyd, who's a pediatric intensivist and is the chief medical information officer for Hamilton Health Sciences. And he's also a great guy to talk to and very excited about the whole project. Yeah, exciting. And so it sounds like, uh, I mean, we've had Barry on this podcast before, and he's been talking up Epic for a while. It sounds like a very exciting project. Really looking forward to seeing what this all holds. And uh, thanks for coming on the podcast to tell us about it all. Finley. My pleasure. Welcome to Residence Corner, where you will learn about some of the awesome work that our McMaster Emerge residents have been up to. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this month's episode of the Residence Corner. My name is Spencer. I'm one of the PGY4s in the FRCPC program here at McMaster, and I'm joined by Dr. Katie Hayes. She's one of the plus one residents at McMaster. Hi, Spencer. Hi, guys. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to have you. I don't think we've had any of the plus ones on the podcast yet, so we're very excited to have you. Yeah, I think I'm the first, so absolutely honored. Thank you. We're honored. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess we could get started. Can you, can you just tell us about your path to the plus one program, how you ended up where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I had like a little bit of a non-traditional path. Um, but like looking back, I think my interest in emergency medicine started on pretty early. When I was eight years old, I had like a complicated autoimmune um, reaction. So I was often cared for at the Grand River Emergency Department for my acute kind of exacerbations. 
And then uh, based on that, when I was like rehabilitating from that, my pediatrician recommended I start swimming. So I ended up doing pretty well on that competitively and then becoming a lifeguard. And I think that really spurred on uh, an interest in acute care. When I did med school, it was actually pretty interesting because I was actually a room gunner for most of it, Spencer, which I'm sure you don't hear very often. <laughs> a pretty different world. But I think that was because I just found a really great research mentor, uh, Dr. Janet Pope, and she was just a total badass dynamo. Like she had eight kids, over 200 publications, and we had a lot of fun. Uh, and I had a lot of fun kind of growing under her research mentorship and learning how to write a paper and, and present and go to conferences. So when I finished up clerkship, I had Emerge at the very end, and uh, I was pretty surprised at how much I loved it and really that kind of meshing between medicine and procedures and seeing uh, all different types of people, all different types of presentations, ambulatory to critical, and that real-time medicine that was just really a, a real treat for me to get to, to work in real time. So I remember talking to one of the plus one residents there saying like, oh man, like I wish I would have known about this earlier. I really enjoy Emerge, but I think it's too late for me at that point. I felt old as a third year medical student, although I wasn't. And she said, well, you know, maybe, you know, the five-year program, maybe it's a little too late because you have all your electives, um, but the plus one is still an option. So I went into family medicine knowing that that was something I was after or interested in and something that could be a complement to family medicine as well. So, yeah. So that's my kind of like non, uh, non-linear path that led me here today. I think, you know, a lot of the people who end up in Emerge actually, uh, it's funny, like they end up realizing they want to do Emerge late. And I think a lot of the reason is because you go through med school and you get to experience all of these like rotations. Um, and then you realize at the end that you like a little bit about everything or you like kind of the combination of things in Emerge. That's what I've heard from a lot of people. So yeah, yeah. absolutely. It was like kind of where everything clicks and I felt like you got to do all the fun stuff. And I'm always yeah. kind of like amazed at all the different things that we get to do. So yeah, really well put, Spencer. I remember when we first yeah. met on medicine. Yes, I did, at I St. Joe's. Yeah, I don't think I, I pegged you for someone who would be interested in Emerge at that yeah. point, but I was advertising. <laughs> I remember advertising it pretty hard. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you totally <laughs> did. Yeah. And, you know, I think when you were advertising it hard, like I had it in the back of my mind because I had just finished that clerkship rotation yeah. and now was like doing my fourth year electives, like mostly yeah. in internal medicine and like having that broad scope. So, yeah, I, I definitely appreciated your mentorship, Spencer. You're a good example. I did manage to get someone to convert you to did. You from told, that rotation. Yeah, you did. <laughs> it was a good time, though. We yeah. had Dr. Neary. It was, you know, for CTU, it was pretty good. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, you spoke a little bit about how you took a little bit of a less linear approach to applying for the plus one. Mm -hmm. what, do you, what advice do you have for people who are interested in applying? Yeah, absolutely. I'd say... If you can, try and prepare early in family medicine residency. Family medicine residency goes by like in a blink of an eye. I think always, like hindsight is twenty twenty. I think we always wish we knew a little bit sooner. But if you're curious about it, like start giving yourself those opportunities early and, and trying to um, pursue some of them. I think it's also really important to advocate for customizing your family medicine experience. I think if you take responsibility for trying to mold your experiences, get those rotations that you want to get and areas that you're deficient in. Um, I know a lot of 
family medicine preceptors are really open to that, even more so as you get more and more senior, just because you have to be practice ready so early. So try and, and customize that experience for you. And then there's also lots of fun stuff you can get involved with. I was involved with the Sim Olympiad, FMF, our family medicine forum conference holds it every year. Not to brag, but McMaster has won two years in a row. So really proud to uh, to be a part of those teams as a, as a junior learner, as a first year resident. Second year, we missed out onto the pandemic. And then uh, this year as plus one, I got to team lead it and we won. So that was great. Casted ATLS are really fun to do as a family medicine resident. There's tons of really good apps out there and kind of some fun like EM and critical care, Instagram and, and uh, foam med options. And yeah, I'd say like those things are important. Try and round out your experience. And then probably one of the most important things I think in all areas of medicine is find a mentor that you really gel with and uh, gives you what you need in a mentor. So for me, I think a big part of that too was finding like a female mentor, especially I think in emergency medicine where in the past there hasn't been as many uh, female mentors or female people to look up to. So for me, that was important and it gave me kind of like an idea of, you know, I can do this or, or this is how I can deal with these difficult situations and this is who I have to look up to. And yeah, it's super inspiring. And, and those mentors and that networking and people that will lift you up make the difference. And Spencer, you mentioned how you converted me to Emerge and like you're just one of many people who have an impact on someone's uh, career. That's all very good to hear. I, I'm wondering how you managed to do this so quickly because you have to apply for this program at the end of your first year in family medicine um, or at the end of the second year? It's actually like at the beginning of, beginning of well, yes, it's kind of like the end of first year, beginning of second year. Yep. So how, you like, how do you do enough electives and meet enough people? You must have to kind of go extracurricular for that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's why, like, I kind of mentioned that family medicine residency goes by so quickly that it's it's really helpful if you know earlier on and you can kind of start from day one trying to customize your experience. With that being said, like I know a couple people who have matched and, you know, are now staff docs who decided a little bit early, or later actually and still were successful. I think it definitely is helpful though if um, there's a lot to cram in, if you can try and at least expose yourself early. Like even I remember when I was a med student, I wanted to get surgery to be my like first rotation because I wanted to know like if I wanted to do surgery that I needed to have that extra time to prepare for it so front loading stuff is helpful that's what I did with surgery too yeah and I exactly I couldn't stand up for eight hours I know. Time, and then I was like and I can't do this I know and I'm like I need to pee like I <laughs> yeah. need to eat I need to sleep so yeah. yeah you figure you sort out what your priorities are right yeah yeah so I guess you know, kind of tying into how quick things have to happen. What are the options for people who don't match to the plus one that are still interested in Emerge? Is there still some options for them to practice in Emerge or how does that work? Yeah, for sure. I would say like, number one, just to cut to the chase, like it's not anywhere near like close to the end of the world if you don't match. And I know that might not sound like, you know, I was fortunate enough to match um, but in a lot of ways, too, like I, I think some of my classmates who chose to go into practice earlier, they get a benefit of, you know, number one, getting a, a start on their career as a staff, getting, you know, that real time learning and also getting like an earlier start to your life. Like you get just to be practical about things like a one more year of staff salary, one less year of debt. <laughs> 
that would be nice. <laughs> yeah, that would be really nice. And uh, I have like a lot of classmates that were very successful there. You know, it is possible to work in southwestern Ontario, southern Ontario, in some pretty decently sized communities. There's lots of really cool locum opportunities in the east coast, west coast. And there's like the, the practice driven route where you can challenge the exam as well, which remains a possibility. So, you know, with the pandemic and, and volumes going up across the country, there's lots of work to be had. So you can gain those through, you know, working as a staff right away and, and finding those experiences or doing the plus one and getting some extra training or something in between where you do like the three month program that they offer through Toronto. So there's a lot of things out there that, that yeah, absolutely. Yeah. To working in a merge hundred percent. And I mean, like, I think it depends on the person too. Like I, I think for someone like me, I really like the extra kind of like structured training, but some people are just a little bit more driven that they like to do it in a more like practical, like hands-on way. And they're just it works better for them to do something that is like immediately like all focused on emerge and just throwing themselves into it. So I think it depends on your personality too. But I think, yeah, yeah if, you, if you don't match, like it's, you know, it's going to feel hard anytime you apply to something and, and you, you think you want it and you don't get it, but know that it actually could be a benefit. Like, like we said, like, you know, you get to pay your debt off one year earlier, you know, treat yourself that's pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of the reasons that I wanted to do the five-year program, actually, is because I thought that longer structured program would be more beneficial for me. So I totally get I totally get what you're saying there. In terms of, like, kind of outside of the, of the Plus One program, do you have other interests in medicine? And do you find that being in the Plus One program helps support those interests well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean... I love McMaster. McMaster Family Medicine was such an amazing, perfect program for me. I was just so impressed with the leadership and my the preceptors and the opportunities to customize. Like I felt like that was the perfect program for me and gave me what I needed um, to grow as a doctor and really grow under the mentorship of, of many, many amazing people. And I think that's absolutely been continued into the plus one. I feel like the plus one, if anything, um, continued to like reinvigorate my love for medicine. Everyone here who's involved in teaching is is highly skilled. Our EKG rounds are amazing. Our simulation is phenomenal. Our ultrasound is unparalleled. We get one-on-one -on -one, like teaching access, teaching shifts throughout the year. So that's been really wonderful. In terms of like other interests, I, I think that there is, because it's such a small program, everyone knows you. Everyone wants to make sure that the experience is tailored to you. So I really enjoy teaching. I've been involved in the Paro Teaching to Teach program since I was a medical student and, and was on the board as well leading it. So I'm just learning to supervise more and more med students here at, at my time in Hamilton, which is such a challenge. And teaching is like not something completely innate. Like you actually have to really learn and, and put time and attention into it. And I'm so in awe of like, you know, thinking back to all our teachers that like supervised us over critical care and, you know, stuff that's like, how do you give that level of trust and how do you allow people to grow? They it's make a it challenge. Seem so easy, but it's really not. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's like you have that extra layer of, you know, number one is your priority to the patient. Number two is probably teaching. And the number three is like having fun. So yeah. how do you bring all those together? Yeah. Other uh, interests I have are like research. I'm really interested in transitional care from primary to emergency care. So I'm working on a, a piece with uh, Stanford right now and 
the program gave me support and flexibility that I needed to do that. So that's been really cool and, and fulfilling a dream. And I'm also interested in like new technologies as they apply to emerge. So I've joined the uh, National Digital Emergency Medicine Committee uh, with CAPE. Um, it's in its inaugural year. So that's exciting. And yeah, and then I guess to round it all out, uh, I personally don't have kids, but we do have classmates who have had kids and they've been really well supported. They're always welcome back to academic days, them and baby. So I, I think that's pretty special that that's supported as well, too. The one like thing I'd add, like, you know, Spencer, how you were talking about how you really enjoyed having the five year program and like having that like structured academic experience. And yeah. um, the other cool thing that I didn't realize is that with the plus one, two, you can also do fellowships on top of it. Um, so ultrasound, uh, like specific teaching ones, even Peds Emerge. So those are some cool things if you want to yeah. stretch it to a four year program, which honestly is very That's tempting. Cool. But yeah. yeah, yeah, I can see that how that would be very tempting. Yeah, uh, th those are all things that I, I've also considered <laughs> doing as my yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So I mean, yeah, it's good to hear that the program is very open to supporting these interests. That's one of the things that our program is also good at. Obviously, we have an extra whole year built in for that. So it's good to hear that your program has space for that, too. Yeah, we get we don't get a year, but we get an yeah. elective, which yeah. is pretty nice. <laughs> it's like yeah. the right? <laughs> Just like, yeah. <laughs> shrunk down yeah. um so uh, kind of continuing on from that what what are your specific career goals for when you're done yeah so like um I talked about teaching a lot um I'm gonna be going back to to KW to work as a staff uh, I have a return to service there which I could not be more pleased I was born in Grand River I'll work in Grand River maybe I'll die in Grand River I made that joke in ICU and they said, whoa, that's dark. <laughs> um <laughs> so I'm excited to to give back to that amazing environment that helped you know, grow me up as a doctor. And they also have like kind of, it's kind of like a mini teaching site there because they have the satellite campus of uh, McMaster and Waterloo. So there's definitely med students and, and residents there. So excited to grow as a teacher there. For research, you know, I always say like, oh, this is kind of like the last research project I'm going to do. And then I get kind of roped into another little one. So we'll see. We'll see with that. Um, but overall, uh, looking forward to, you know, having a balanced life and having fun and getting better and better as a clinician and I think Emerge is pretty special in that you really can have kind of the best of both worlds in that way. Yeah, that's one of the things that I really like about Emerge as well. You have time for having, you know, other interests on top of your clinical duties. And I think that it offers a lot of satisfaction with your career and personal life as well. Outside of Emerge, like what are your kind of lifestyle goals? Like how do you, how do you balance yeah. your work? Okay. Life balance, that kind of well, thing. this is a secret. I haven't told anyone, but really, my main goal it's is about to not be a secret. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you're okay with that. My main goal is to be. A, you watch Dr. Glockenflecken, right? Of yes. course. Yes. yes. Of course. Okay. Yeah. So, really, I just want to embody like the Dr. Glockenflecken emerge meme, like bike helmet and all. That's oh, yeah. that's who I want to be. So that's my like main icon right now okay. so I just got a new bike so I'm hoping to bike to work as a staff definitely want to kind of like stay fit stay active hoping to do some good traveling I've got some family in California so maybe do the Big Sur Marathon someday and then I think uh, some fun locums are always always a fun thing to mix it up and uh, I think later on if I if I decide to or I'm fortunate enough to have a family I'd love to continue to work but also have plenty of time to, to spend with children. So that's one of the things my original mentor um, told me. She said, you know, it was great, like growing up and having 
my kids grew up, it was like I was there for them at every kind of volunteering thing. And then I would just work a night shift. So she would just like work and like hang out with her kids too. So I think that's uh, something to aspire to. Well, thanks for sharing that secret. I think a lot of people think that's a very desirable uh, lifestyle. <laughs> and it happens to be and it happens to be very true. I guess yeah. you know, that's part of the joke is that a lot of people are like that. And I think that's why a lot of us were also kind of drawn to emergency medicine. You know, they say when you're looking for your specialty, like find your people. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I think that that's definitely one of the things that yeah. drew me to it. Yeah, for I, sure. I would probably bike to work if I lived closer than I do. So I totally get the appeal. But I probably wouldn't wear my bike helmet in the emergency. You have department. to wear it everywhere. That's the thing. <laughs> It'll keep you safe. <laughs> Stay safe, kids. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for joining us. That was a great uh, discussion that we had. And I hope this is helpful for people that are interested in the plus one or or people who are in the five-year program or in the plus one program just to hear about different perspective from it. Yeah. So, yeah. I really, really appreciate you taking the time to do this with us. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Mac Emerge podcast. We hope that this brings you new information and helps you up your game so you can deliver better patient care to our region. Remember, we are always looking for new talent and expertise to feature in our podcast. So if you're interested, please feel free to contact us at our email at macemergepodcast at gmail.com. We're also looking to improve your experience, so please submit your feedback as well. Again, thanks for listening. Let's all stay connected. Back and merge out!